And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Welcome to this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. This program is dedicated to going out to the highways and hedges and compelling people to come to faith in Jesus Christ. Join your host, Tony Miano, and his team of street fishermen as they find people on the streets with whom to share the gospel. No scripts, no planning, no preparation. Just impromptu gospel conversations with random people out there in a world in desperate need of the Savior. So, until the nets are full, let's go fishing. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it might be, wherever you may find yourself. Welcome to another edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. I am your host, Tony Miano. And on today's edition of the podcast, we have a wonderful conversation with a young man named Telly. That's Telly with a T, not Kelly with a K. Telly. Telly is a freshman, 18 years old, at Illinois State University in Braxton Combs. Uh, one of my faithful street fishermen was on the campus just a few days ago and came across Telly. Telly agreed to come on the phone and talk to me about spiritual things. Uh, Telly professes to be a Christian, and I think you will agree with me by conversation's end that, uh, in all likelihood, Telly is a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. And his major, at least it was at the beginning of our conversation, his major is psychology. He was hoping to be a clinical psychologist, but I think that might have changed. And uh, I'll let you find that out for yourself. Uh, but without uh, any more delay, I want to get right to it uh, because uh, I did have a good conversation with Braxton about campus ministry and discipleship following my conversation with Telly, and I do want to do some chalk talking today, so we've got a lot in store for you. So with that, let's go fishing. All right, I've got uh, Braxton on the line. Braxton, where are you? I'm over on... Uh... Illinois State University campus. Um, we call it the quad. Uh, it's a big open area um, where people study and stuff, go go back and forth to class. Um, I've been here before on another episode, but uh, I've got Kelly here, and uh, he was just walking, and I stopped him and said, hey, got a couple questions for you. Asked him if he'd like to be on the podcast. Um, he said that he was raised Christian. I, I explained some of the reasons we're doing this with the edification of other believers, and and kind of uh, trying to sway the world to get into more dialogue. There's a lot of political correctness kind of um, uh, just ruining the debate in our society. Uh, there's, no, there's no seeking for truth because people are so isolated. But um, I informed him that we're going to talk about worldviews, uh, that you're respectful, Tony. And um, also, he's a psychology major. So it should be a very interesting conversation. And I'm sorry, you said this is Kelly? Kelly. Kelly, okay. Great. All right, let's talk yep. to Kelly. All right, here he is. Hello. Good morning. Hey, Ke hey Kelly, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, so you're studying psychology there at uh, Illinois State? Yeah. What? Uh, how far along are you in your studies? Uh, I'm only about like six weeks in. Oh, so you're a freshman still... this year. Yeah, I'm a freshman. I'm still novice. And uh, what what uh, what made you choose that major? What do you plan to do? 
Well, I was pl planning to be like a clinical psychologist. Okay, and what uh, what drew you to that uh, that uh, discipline, that profession? What do you what do you hope to do well, as a clinical psychologist? Uh, I guess help other people with their problems, and I guess I kind of get like a satisfaction out of helping other people and getting through them what uh, I could not do for myself. So. Yeah. Okay. All right. Good. Um, what do you think, uh, Kelly? What do you think when you say help people get through their problems? What do you think people's biggest problem is? Not forgiving themselves for the past problems they made. So it weighs on the present problems. They don't know how to get through it because they're too afraid of the relapse that they had with their last problems. That's what I'd say. People have the biggest problems with getting by. Okay, so so if 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 I understand you right, if people are able to forgive themselves, then they ought to be able to move forward in life. Yes. Okay. Um, so Braxton told me that you have a Christian background. I know that word Christian means a lot of different things to uh, different people. What does that mean to you, a, a Christian background? Christian background means that I was raised to be a follower of God and be what his almost not a disciple, but a follower of Christ and to be able to, to be comfortable with that and not be ashamed because in this world that we live in, you know, a lot of people are ashamed to be Christian uh, because they see that it's like, it's just, well, it's, God said in himself that we'll be hated because we follow him. So, be Christian means that you can walk in hate, but still love uh, God himself. Okay. Interesting. You said um, to be a follower of Christ, but not a disciple. How do you distinguish? How do you distinguish those two? Well, a follower of Christ. Well, it's really hard to really now I think about it because the disciples, the disciples went through much more extreme uh, consequences for following Jesus himself rather than I'm just a Christian I'm not going to get um, convicted say if I am saying that I am a follower of Christ or at least in this country maybe not in other countries but it's just the disciples went through much a much more extreme uh, cause back then when Jesus was alive so now you said you were you were raised to be a Christian or you were raised in the church. Um, yep. I presume, I presume that means that since your earliest memory, you've been involved in a church. Yeah. Okay. So when, when do you think Kelly, it went from being, Hey, this is something we do every Sunday. Um, I go because my parents say, get dressed. We're going to church to actually being your faith. Uh, it went from, being almost a chore to go to church to the real thing when I realized that like there like hell is real and like my sins are just you know they're just out there and I can't do anything about it unless I go to Christ himself and I have a relationship with Christ so uh, it, when I was younger it was like okay I go to Christ but who is Christ but as I got older you know, I, I started actually learning who Christ was and what he did for me. And the consequences of not following Christ is what really weighed me into, it's really, it's what really drew me into Christ. 
And and about how long ago was that? You're a freshman now, so I'm guessing you're 18 or 19 years old now, or are you starting later in school? Uh, yeah, I'm a freshman. I'm 18 years old. Okay. So about how long ago did you come to that realization that uh, that without Christ you would face the consequence of hell for your sin? Uh, it was actually not too long ago. It was my sophomore year of high school. I came across this video. It was called 23 Minutes of Hell by Bill Weiss, I think. And he told us basically how he had a vision of how hell was real and like how, you know, the consequences, the the most dire consequences of actually going to hell is like all too real to be fake. And it's just, it's just really what, you know, it is like, I came to like the realization that if Christ didn't die on the cross for me, then I'd have to go to that place. So that's what really drew me and it's what really uh, opened my eyes to, uh, Christ. And and what was uh what was this were most of your friends at that time uh churched people or um no. unbelievers no. or they yeah they were I had some Christian friends but they were a bit lukewarm so they wouldn't they weren't really like comfortable to talk about it with me but all my other friends were unbelievers. So it really felt like it was just me, my family, and my church who I could really talk to about Christ. So, so how did you, how did your friends respond to you coming to faith in Christ? Well, they were like, "That's good for you, but don't push it on me." But uh, they 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 still won't accept it for now. So, so how how do you go about? Now it's it's only been a couple of years, but. How, if you do, how do you go about communicating the gospel to other people? Uh, well, I really don't, to be honest. I really don't. And is is there a, I mean, I don't know how much thought you've given that, but is there a reason why you don't? Um, I don't really know. I guess I just haven't. I mean, I, sh- I know I should. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's role play for a, a couple of minutes. Yeah. Okay. Let's say that you and I. Um, let's say I'm not a 56 year old man, um, but I'm 18 yeah. like you. Uh, we went to high school together. We're both going to Illinois State together. We're both pursuing um, degrees in psychology. We've been friends for a while. I'm one of your unsaved friends. Okay. And and I come to, and I know you're a Christian. I I know about your profession of faith. I've seen, maybe I've seen some changes in you or something like that. Um, and while you haven't shared the gospel with me, I, I know that you do this quote unquote church thing. And, uh, and you know that I'm not a Christian. You know, by the way, I, I walk, I talk, I, you know, the way I act, the way I live my life. Um, you know that I'm not a Christian. In fact, I've told you I'm not a Christian. So I, like you, I'm 18 years old. I figure I've got the, I've got, you know, 60, 70, 80 years ahead of me. And then this stupid virus hits the world. And I hear about all these people getting sick and dying and we got to wear masks. And, and it's really got me thinking about, well, what if, what if I get sick and die? What's going to happen to me? And so I don't know who to talk to. So I come to the only guy I know that's quote unquote religious. Uh, I come to Kelly. I said, "Hey Kelly, what's up with this? What's 
what's going to happen to me when I die? So I've just, I've well, just, I've just given you that softball pitch over the heart of the plate. Um, I'm coming to you. You're not shoving anything on me. Um, what would you say to me? Well, uh, first off, I would tell you that everything going on in the world right now is being prophesied in the scripture. So you know it's real, but you have to find it in yourself to profess that Jesus is Lord, and so you could be saved. And then basically I would just go ahead and tell him that since you're not a believer, you are by default destined to go to hell. So it's really, you have to find it. You have to go out of your way yourself because I can't save you. So you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and you have to become, you have to become Christian, become saved in order because, well, first I would tell him about heaven and hell. It was real. Obviously I would, explain about that and then i would tell him that his destination would be hell unless he gets saved basically okay um and i have this right, so, to back it up so now we're still role playing um yeah so why by default am i going to hell that sounds pretty harsh well you see the scripture says that we were born in sin right and the wages of sin is death, not physical death, spiritual death. And by spiritual death, I mean hell. So you are predestined to go to hell unless you are saved, unless you repent of your sins. So that is why unbelievers would go to hell automatically. doesn't matter if you're a good person or not, because, you know, Jesus doesn't let good people into heaven. He lets people with a, relation to, a relationship with him people who are spiritually sound, spiritually awake, and saved into heaven. And and why Jesus? Because why not, Mo- why know, not Muhammad? Why not Buddha? Why not Krishna? Why not uh, Oprah? Why, why Jesus? Because it says that Jesus was the son of God. It didn't say Muhammad was the son of God. It didn't say Buddha was the son of God. All those, sure, Muhammad was a prophet, so was Jesus, but Muhammad did not go to the cross and die for the sins of every single person in this planet. And there was not, you know, Muhammad was only in the Old Testament for the for the Quran. But we know that Muhammad was only a, just just a prophet, just like Ezekiel, just like any other any other prophet in the Bible. He was just another prophet. But Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice to save all of our sins. It didn't say Muhammad saved our sins. It didn't say Buddha saved our sins. It said Jesus saved our sins. So if someone can literally save you from sin and death, that's how we know that he is the only one that could uh, save us. And how is it that Jesus could do that and no one else could? Because Jesus was the son of God. He was God in the flesh. Muhammad was not God in the flesh. All right. Well, okay, yeah. Um, so, what must I do? Is there anything I could do to save myself? Well, you can't save yourself. Only Jesus can save you. The only way you have to you have to make a relationship with Jesus through Scripture and through prayer and through repenting of your sins. And so, how often then do I have to? How good does this relationship have to be? How often do I have to repent of my sin? Um, sounds like you're giving me a lot of work to do. Well, if you repent of your sins 
often it, it shouldn't be a thing because once you repent of your sins, you're, you're not supposed to go back to the sins, but you have to pray that you have a heart of God so you can hate what he hates and love what he loves. <laughs> so repenting of your sins should not be something that you do often or that it's something that you do whenever you fall short. All right. Okay. All right. So now I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the match off of your foot um, and I'm going to put it on mine. We're going to switch now. Um, same, same scenario, but we're just switching roles. Um, now you're my unsaved friend and, and I'm the Christian. You come to me with the same thing. I came to you all the same. We're just switching spots. That's all. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So with that in mind, this is what I would say to you. This is how I would communicate the gospel to you. And what I want to hear from you, Kelly, is if it's the same gospel you believe. Okay. Mm-hmm. If it's, if it's the same gospel you just shared with me. All right. So, so first thing I, first thing I would tell you, uh, Kelly, is that the uh, Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die. And after that, the judgment. When you die, just like everybody else, you're going to stand before the God who created you, and you're going to give an account for your life. He's not going to judge you based on how many good things you think you've done. He's not going to judge you based on how you compare yourself to other people. He's not going to uh, judge you by your church attendance. He's he's not going to judge you by those things. He's going to judge you according to a law that he's written on your heart. He's given you a conscience. You and I both know the difference between right and wrong because you and I were both created by the same God, the only God, who is triune, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons. You and I were both created by him, and we were both created in his image. No matter how different you and I might be, we will both answer to the same creator God. And this God has written the same law on both of our hearts. You and I both know it's wrong to lie because the God who created us is not a liar. You and I both know it's wrong to steal because the God who created us isn't a thief. You and I both know it's wrong to look at that girl walking across the quad and have an inappropriate thought because the God who created us is not an adulterer at heart. He's not a, a fornicator. He's not sexually immoral. He's faithful. Um, you and I both know it's wrong to hate somebody, anybody, for any reason, because the God who created us isn't a murderer at heart like we are when we hate somebody. And so, Kelly, when you die and stand before God, you're going to be without excuse. You're not going to be able to claim innocence or ignorance to violating his law because he has already written it on your heart. Because God is good, because God is good because he's holy and righteous and just, he must punish sin. The punishment God has determined for sin, all of it, is eternity in hell. Now, obviously, you're my friend. I don't want that for you. But friends warn their friends when their friends are in danger. And, and buddy, if you, if you die in your sin today, you are in danger of facing the fires of hell for all eternity as the just punishment for your sin against God. But this same God, who is, the Bible says he's angry with the wicked every day, that he will judge the world in righteousness, this same God 
is also loving and merciful and gracious and kind. And he showed that great love some 2,000 years ago when God the Father sent his son to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, truly God, truly man, without sin. Born of a virgin, just as the prophet Isaiah declared some 700 years before he was even born. And this God in the flesh, Jesus Christ the Lord, uh, lived a perfect life from cradle to grave for some 33 years that you and I can't live for 33 seconds. And then he voluntarily went to a Roman cross where he suffered and died a horrific bloody death he did not deserve in order to take upon himself the punishment you and I rightly deserve for our sins against God. And then he forever defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave. He's alive today. He's going to return at a time no man knows. But when he returns, he's not going to return as a baby in a manger to save the world. He's going to return as the lion of the tribe of Judah to judge the world. And you don't want to be found on the wrong end of his sword on that day. And so what God commands of you is the same thing he commands of me and all people everywhere. And that is by faith, we turn from our sin. Uh, another word for that is repentance. We turn from our sin and by faith and by faith alone, receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. And if he does that miraculous work in you, if he literally causes you to be born again, he'll take your heart of stone that makes you an enemy of God. He'll give you a heart of flesh. You'll begin to love the things that God loves. You'll begin to hate the things that God hates. And you will have the assurance of forgiveness, not because of how often you repent, not because of how often you pray, not because of how often you read the Bible or go to church. You will have assurance of that forgiveness because of the grace and mercy and love of God that would allow his one and only son to die for a sinner like you and a sinner like me. You'll be reconciled to the God you've spent your life offending by your sin, and you will have the assurance of eternal life. Instead of facing the wrath of God and hell for all eternity, you will receive the promise of peace and joy and and, and love uh, in perfect union with God the Father through faith in Jesus Christ the Lord. So turn from your sin and put your trust in Christ while God's given you time. All right, so did you hear, uh, first of all, is that the gospel you believe? Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah, that's about it. Did, did you hear anything, um, did you hear anything different at all from what I said and what you said? Mm, not really could it could it be that what you heard me say was what you believed but maybe you didn't say yeah. everything that i said yeah well okay. uh, i guess it wasn't translated well but it's the same exact thought got it okay so so if you could say what i said that's what you would say yeah yeah oh, okay I, I don't want to put words in your mouth i mean it um, but, um, okay, cool. All right. So a couple of things, uh, you got a few more minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Um, a couple of things I want to talk to you about. Um, first of all, one of the things that Jesus said was that whoever is not willing to deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me is not fit to be my disciple. 
is not worthy to be my disciple. Now, look, we, we're not worthy of salvation. We can never earn salvation. We can never deserve salvation. Salvation is a free gift. You mentioned, in fact, the wages of sin is death. The second part of that verse says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So what we earn, what we deserve for our sin is death. What we receive in Christ is a free gift. It's not one we have to work for. Um, it's not one we have to do anything to either earn or deserve or keep. But yet Jesus said that whoever actually are my disciples, those who are my people, those who truly are Christians, are going to count the cost for following me, and they're going to follow me no matter what it costs. It, that'll be, that's not a work that leads to salvation. That's what we would call in, in Christian circles a fruit of salvation. A result of our salvation is that we will that we will want to do those things that please God. That we will, uh, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Um, and again, not to earn salvation, not to keep salvation. But if we really belong to him, we're going to want to do that which pleases him. We're going to want to obey him because we're so thankful for the free gift of salvation he's given us. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So one of Jesus's commands... Uh, one of the last things he said to his, uh, um, one of the first things he said to his disciples after rising from the grave, one of the, la the last thing we hear him say at the end of the gospel of Matthew in Matthew 28 is that we are to, we are to go into all the world and make disciples. Okay. He, uh, after, uh, just before his ascension back into heaven. He tells his disciples that he is literally going to send them throughout the world to go and make disciples, to tell people about who he is, what he came to do, how they can be reconciled to God and have their sins forgiven. Uh, the entire book of Acts, which is the first book right after the four Gospels, is entirely about how the early church spread the gospel to the four corners four corners of the world um and so if we if we truly belong to christ a desire of our heart is going to be to communicate that gospel to others Does that make sense yeah okay mm -hmm. and so and so you've you told me that you as far as you know you came to genuine repentance of faith in jesus christ about two years ago um, it sounds to me like we're believing the same gospel. It sounds to me like I'm, you know, I mean, I don't know your heart. I've known you for 20 minutes on the phone. Um, but it sounds to me like I'm talking to a fellow Christian. So from mm -hmm. what, so from one Christian to another, if Jesus commands us to go out and proclaim the gospel to others and you don't ever do it, I guess my question would be why? Well, it would be that my fear of the world is stronger than my love for God and Jesus and his commandments. That's the only way I can say it. You fear right. being convicted by other people more than 
you love God's commandment to do what he says to do. Kelly, if if most of the professing Christians I talk to were as honest as you just were in the last 15, 20 seconds, uh, I think that would be really remarkable. Um, so I guess I guess then the question would be, what are you going to do about it? When are you going oh, to you can do it. Well, you you mean you can't pray for God to to you know give you the courage. I mean, you you have to that has to come from yourself. You have to put yourself aside because it's not about you being comfortable. It's about what God's telling you to do. So if you want to be comfortable on earth, short term short term comfortable way, you know you sure you know this life is short. You know, so if you want to yeah. be comfortable your whole life and ignore God, then you know. You know the wages of sin is death. So if you want to disobey and be comfortable rather than be uncomfortable, be convicted, be called an imposter, but still be seen as desirable in God, I mean, that's for you to make. You know, God gave us the choice of free will. Okay. So a couple of things you said there. Some of what you said there is true. Some of what you said there is not true. Uh, first of all, nowhere in the Bible does it say that God gave us free will. Nowhere. You won't find it anywhere in the Bible that God gave us free will. Uh, the reality is, yep. the, the, the reality is, is that um, we are either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Now, granted, look, you, you make decisions every day of your own volition. You You decided to come on the podcast today. That was your decision, mm-hmm. right? You could have decided not to do it. So yes, we we do things and we don't do things. But but what governs us is not our free will. What governs us is the sovereign God who created us. What governs us is the nature that God, uh, the nature that we have. You mentioned that we are all born with a sin nature. Absolutely true. In fact, because of that nature, unless God does a miraculous work and changes our heart, all we're ever going to do is sin. In fact, Romans chapter 14 says that anything we do not do for the glory of Christ is sin. Even the good things we do outside that we would call good, helping a little old lady across the street, if it's not done for the glory of Christ, it's sin. Me jumping on a grenade to save my fellow soldiers and giving my life. If I do that outside of Christ, it's nothing but a filthy rag to God. It will never commend me to God. It will never earn me anything before God. And apart from Christ, my will is enslaved to my nature and to my sin. Um, And I can't do anything outside of that nature. When God gives me a new heart, when God causes me to be born again, he literally changes my nature. I'm now able to do that which God wants me to do. I'm now empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to do that which God wants me to do for the right reason, for the glory of God, because I now belong to him. So so what rules a person is not their the freedom of their will what rules a person is their enslavement to their will jesus said you will either be a slave to sin 
or you will be a slave to righteousness. You will be a slave to Christ. Okay. Also, if we are in Christ, we are we are indwelt by, we are filled with, and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. And as such, we are now able, not only in Christ's death, as he dealt with the penalty of sin, but he has also dealt with the power of sin. We have everything we need in Christ to defeat sin, to live free of sin. Now, sanctification, another $10 word, meaning spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, that takes place over a lifetime. Uh, we won't be completely free of, of the effects of sin. We, we won't be sinless, so to speak, until that moment when we're glorified with him in heaven. But we most certainly can have victory over sin. We can most simply, we can most certainly um, have freedom from sin because we've been given that in Christ and we are now filled with his spirit. But there's still a war going on inside us between our flesh, our sin, and, and the spirit of God who now dwells in us. So when it comes to denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following Christ, it's not something we do in and of ourselves. It's not something that we just have to convince ourselves to do. It is something we are enabled and empowered to do by the Holy Spirit that now lives in us. And, and that kind of brings me back to the very beginning of our conversation when you, when you told me about wanting to be a clinical psychologist so that you can help people forgive themselves. Mm -hmm. No one can forgive themselves. They, they might be able to feel better about the things they've done in the past. But no one in any lasting way, no one in any eternal way, can ever forgive themselves. That, that would be like me going into a courtroom, having been convicted of a crime, and saying to the judge, you know, the judge says, all right, Tony, I, I find you guilty. I'm about to pass sentence. What do you have to say for yourself? And I say, well, your honor, I know what I did was wrong, but I want you to know that I have forgiven myself. And so because I've forgiven myself, I think you ought to let me go. The judge isn't going to let me go because I have forgiven myself. There's still a, a penalty to be paid. The, the requirements of the law still have to be fulfilled. Judges are going to let me go simply because I feel better about myself. And so uh, from one Christian to another, as you consider, you know, very early on in your college career as to wh what kind of direction you want to go, what you want to pursue, you need to understand that if your goal as a clinical psychologist is to help people to forgive themselves, then you are simply putting a Band-Aid on a mortal wound. You are simply going to make them feel more comfortable on their way to hell. Mm -hmm. What yeah, do you think right. of that? What do you think of that? That's right. Yeah, it's completely right. So, look, you don't know me from Adam, right? You, you don't know me from anyone. <laughs> you, you know me for a half hour now on the phone. And, and again, I really appreciate your time.
but yeah. uh, but uh, look, it, I, I could sugarcoat it for you. I could beat around a beat it around the bush, or I can love you as a brother in Christ. And and I'm telling you that going into the field of secular psychology uh, to help people put band aids on mortal wounds. I do not think would be denying yourself taking up your cross and following Christ. Doesn't mean you have to become a pastor. Doesn't mean you have to become a pastor. Doesn't mean you have to become a missionary in a third world country, although God may very well do that in your life. But if you know Jesus Christ as you profess, and you know the way to eternal life, and instead of bringing people that good news, you help them to feel better about themselves and their sin. How, how is that going to bring glory to God? It's not. Yeah. So I, I, I think you, I think you need to uh, prayerfully consider that. Um, I think. Um, are your, are your parents believers? Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. Okay. So I, I really think it's something you should talk to your folks about. Talk to your pastor about. Um, you know, really, because look, we can't compartmentalize our lives. Everything we do must come from this place of wanting to bring glory and honor to Christ and to further the gospel. The, the two greatest commandments Jesus said in Matthew 22 is to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And there is nothing more loving we could ever do for another human being than to point them to Christ. I mean, th think of it this way, th this idea of helping people to forgive themselves, which is really, I mean, I think even though you've only been in school a few weeks, I think that really does describe secular psychology. It is, its goal is to make people feel better about themselves. So let's say, let's say I knew that you were walking toward a 500 foot cliff. Let's say there's a, a row, of, there's a hedgerow in front of it. You can't really see the cliff. I've been on the other side of the hedges. I know there's a 500 foot cliff there and I see you walking towards it. Okay. And so I could do what a lot of professing Christians do. And I could just stand there and watch you walk to your death and say nothing to you. Or I could do what clinical psychology might do and say, and know there's a cliff on the other side, but say, hey, um, now I, I know psychologists don't prescribe medication. That's what psychiatry does. I understand that. But I say to you, um, uh, Kelly, before you go through those edges, I want you to think of everything you've done wrong in your life, and I want you to forgive yourself. Because when you walk, when you walk through those hedges, I want to make sure that you feel really good about yourself. Mm -hmm. And then I watch you walk through those hedges and walk to your death. Or I could do what a Christian is called to do. And I could say, Kelly, on the other side of those hedges is a 500 foot cliff. If you walk through those hedges, you're going to go off the side and you're going to die. And you say, yeah, 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 Tony, sure. I don't know if I really believe that. 
Well, I don't care whether or not you believe it, Kelly, it's true. I'm telling you, don't walk through those hedges and you keep going. Eventually now I'm raising my voice, I'm agitated and I'm grabbing you by the arm and I'm saying, Kelly, if you go through those hedges, you're going to die. A Christian is going to do everything he can. Uh, and, and you said it earlier, we can't save anybody. I don't save a single soul. Neither do you. But if we truly love people, we're going to warn them about the wrath to come. We're going to warn them about hell to come. And then we're not going to leave them there. We're not going to just tell them, hey, there's a cliff on the other side. We're going to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. And we're going to count the cost because we love Christ and we love them more than we love ourselves. And so I want to encourage, I want to encourage you, Kelly, to be about God's business first and foremost in your life, no matter where that takes you. No, no matter what the context of your life is or the personality he's given you as a follower of Jesus Christ, he has commanded you to go out there and make his son known, no matter what it might cost you personally, professionally, relationally, financially, whatever it might be, because ultimately this is not your home. Your home is in heaven. And you are merely a sojourner here. You're merely a traveler here. And your first responsibility is to glorify God in every aspect of your life. Not to earn his love, but because you're so thankful for the love that he's given you. And point as many people as you can to Jesus Christ while God's given you time. And helping people to forgive themselves is not going to do it. Exactly. All right. Hey, um, I think I've, I think I might have given you quite a bit to think about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Good. And let's. And hey, look, I'm going to be praying for you. I'm sure Braxton will want to talk to you for a couple of minutes. Um, and if you ever want to talk again, you know, not on a podcast, but you know, I live up here in Iowa. I'm not that far away. If you ever want to talk again about these things, I, I'd love to do that with you. I'll even drive down there and grab a cup of coffee with you. Um, no, no pressure, no responsibility, no obligation on your part at all. But just know that you're more important to me than a podcast. And so if there's anything I could do to be an encouragement to you, um, I, I, I'd certainly be willing to do that. Thank you. All right. Hey, God bless you, man. Thank you again for uh, giving me so much of your time and, and I'm going to be praying for you as you work through some of these things and uh, um, you know, cling to Christ. No matter what, cling yep. to Christ. All right, buddy. Yep. Thank um, thanks. Thank All right, go ahead and give the phone back to Braxton, and uh, and uh, maybe I'll talk to you again sometime. All right. Hey. Hey, buddy. Hey, uh, Braxton's got a lot to think about. I, um, as far as I can tell, uh, I think. Uh, I think what we have in Kelly is a, a brother in Christ, you know, to the extent that I could discern that from the phone call. But um, anyway, but uh, he's got some got some big decisions to make regarding his uh, career path and and uh, some I think uh, 
our conversation hit home with him. So go ahead and take whatever time you need to follow up with him and then uh, give me a call back when you're done. Sounds good. Thanks, Tony. All right, brother. All righty. Bye. Okay, I've got Braxton back on the phone. He's uh, spent a little time with uh, Telly. Uh, the whole time, that whole conversation, I was calling him Kelly with a K. His uh, name is <laughs> actually spelled Telly, T as in Tom, E-L-E. I'll make sure to apologize to him that for uh, to him tomorrow for that because uh, we're actually going to talk again tomorrow. So more about that in a minute. But uh, so how did the follow up go, Braxton? Oh, it was great, man. Uh, we we were just talking about um what kind of how i stumbled upon you on youtube and and uh found out the same it was consistent with the comment he made he said man that guy was on point and i said you know i i stumbled on him on youtube and out of everybody i looked at he was just the the guy who is just knows what he's doing out there so <laughs> talking oh, about you tony so oh, that's, uh that's humbling um yeah, he's excited. He's excited yeah. to talk to you. I'm excited. I'm excited to continue doing this. Uh, it was a blessing for both of us. I told him iron sharpens iron. Yeah, amen. So, okay, so if you could, um, if you could fill in a little bit, you know, as to your conversation with him. Uh, certainly, I'm not looking to get puffed up or anything like that. I'm, I'm already walking on cloud nine because here's a kid that <laughs> I, I, I met, you know, 45 minutes ago on the phone. And uh, we're going to be, you know, he, he texted me like, as soon as you, as soon as you texted me and said, Hey, he'd, he'd like to get in touch with you. Can I give him your number? And I said, yes. You know, 30 seconds later, I'm getting a text from him saying, Hey, I, I that really meant a lot to me. And uh, can I talk to you tonight? And uh, so I'm going to be at church tonight, but we're working it out for us to uh, spend some time on the phone tomorrow. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, so how was, did he express it all? How? The conversation impacted him no um okay. uh, like i said he just said that he was on that you were on point um uh he he looked a bit convicted which is kind of normal after somebody gets off the phone during doing this which is good um but it, i do have something i can add i i feel sure. like and maybe you maybe you uh you witnessed this on campus there's and I talked to Telly a little bit about this before we got on the phone. Um, headphones, you know, the digital age, everybody's got a phone and everybody's got headphones. Some people are carrying around or just wearing the big, big ears, you know, over their ear headphones. Right, right. And it's just people are isolated. And uh, we were talking a little bit about that because he was a psychology major. Well, what I think that I understand about running into Christians out here is that um they're christians but they just they don't have a church they don't have church they don't have a car they have they see these ministries like encounter and cruise kind of going into the social justice stuff yeah. and and they, they see stuff like that and they just they don't want any part of it just like the the non-churched people the the unbelievers they don't want any part of hypocrisy you know so uh it's kind of there needs to be more discipleship on on uh on campus and that's what i'm really excited about with the what just happened with this episode because when we're street preaching out here which we do on thursdays um i switched over to wednesdays obviously it's wednesday today 
But um, uh, when we're street preaching, people that they, they're kind of uh, skittish about going going up to us and being discipled, you know. Mm-hmm. So they don't even that because obviously you're out in the open, you're in public, and um, we haven't had a whole lot of people come and 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 ask for prayer or anything like that. We offer prayer. We offer. We try to get in conversations. Um, but there's not a whole lot of discipleship going on except for the actual open air proclamation. So mm-hmm. for this to happen is really a blessing. It's encouraging to me because I see a lot of suffering, you know, um, with, with the lostness of, I mean, people have no hope and there's yeah. bad statistics about suicidal ideations around here. And, and I was mm-hmm. suicidal before I came to Christ. I understand. So that's my take. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, you know, that's important. I mean, you've said so much. I mean, we could spend, we could spend a couple of hours. We won't, but we can, <laughs> we could spend a couple of hours just unpacking some of, some of what you said. Uh, yeah, there, you know, it's, it's interesting now living here in Iowa, as opposed to uh, Southern California. And as you know, you know, like you, I've been on a bunch of different uh, college campuses around the country and, and most uh, sadly, most of what's called Christian ministry um, on college campuses is neither Christian nor ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's basically, uh, a lot of times, it's just goats uh, pretending to be sheep, trying to help goats pretend to be sheep. And uh, so now, yeah, now here in Iowa, I've been blessed and at the University of Iowa. I've I've met a number of very solid Christian young people. and. And there are a couple of ministries there on campus uh, that that seem to be doing it right. But by and large, there is a vacuum on uh, college and university campuses. Part of that is because the false converts of youth ministry in American churches are now campus ministry leaders That's on so university true. campuses, right? So, so the kids who weren't yeah. coming to genuine faith in Christ um, all they were doing was eating pizza and licking peanut butter out of the armpit of their youth pastor, maybe, you know, doing <laughs> stupid things like that, um, you know, right. And, and they're doing that in high school and now they're coming onto a college campus and they're being assigned a leadership role, uh, because they're a warm body on a college campus ministry. That's more concerned about social justice than souls. And Very so true. there, there's a desperate need for solid Christian ministry on university campuses and really brother that should be the work of the local church you know there in that area um and Mm -hmm. and so you know um my church sends me um out to campuses with the hope of you know representing the church out there on campus and and uh but but yeah it's it's really important that not only do we bring the gospel to the lost on university campuses, but that we bring the gospel to the saved on university campuses and encourage them to count the cost. And, um, and I think that's what's hap- That's what we were able to do today with Telly. And it would I seem, so well. and it would seem that his response, um, it seems as though, yeah, I don't know for sure. Um, I'll find out more tomorrow. But it seems like he was a—he's a young man starved for discipleship, um, and so maybe, maybe we can help him in that regard. 
So, well, I can certainly anyway. relate to him in that respect. Yeah. How's that? I uh, I told him um, in the after conversation that I I stumbled upon you on YouTube and and you were a huge mentor to me in that respect. I've told you that before, but also John MacArthur and stuff. I was just so thankful that this stuff is on YouTube. One of my favorite verses is uh in Proverbs and it says, "Buy the truth and sell it not." And I realized if people would labor for truth and then just give it to people like Christians do on YouTube then we would have just a, a better society. Every God's word blesses everything. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's what happened in my life. I, I had a, a huge lack of discipleship and uh, YouTube was a, a huge resource for me. Um, later on, I did develop some mentors in my life and stuff. And I'm very thankful for that. It's just, it was hard going at first, very, very mm -hmm. much so. So I can definitely relate to his situation in that way. Yeah. All right. All right, brother. Hey, well, so you're going to spend the rest of the day out there today? Yeah. Yeah. I'll probably just hang around campus. Um, I'm going to go speak with Jonathan for a while, but I'll probably head back to campus afterwards. All right. And uh, uh, you guys are going to do some open air preaching today and uh, some other ministry? Well, I may. Yeah, I may do a little bit of that um, if I can find a group of people. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, it's tough. It's tough right now yeah, with the pandemic and uh you know, people are still locked down. And now is Illinois State doing classes both on campus and remotely, or is it all on campus? Now, I don't have any official uh, knowledge, but I've okay. heard through the grapevine that they're just in the class, and I've heard this from students, they're they're in the class, uh, not in class, but in uh, their dorms doing online class because ah. the the dorms have already been paid for. Yeah. Got so, it. <laughs> what a racket. I guess that's, yeah, <laughs> for real. But it is what it is. Um, yeah. That's, I, but that's where why students are here, which is, yeah. that's a good thing. You so that's know, why I, they're... I, I told you earlier, I prefer the students. So. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Amen. All right, brother. Well, I hope the Lord blesses your time in ministry. Um, uh, certainly, we can count our time with Tele as, uh, as the Lord blessing ministry. And I hope he gives you opportunity to, to communicate the gospel to a bunch of kids out there today. Me too. All Thanks, right, buddy. Jim. Love you, man. I'll talk to you soon. Love you too. God Bye. bless you. All right, that was my conversation with Telly and my follow-up conversation with Braxton. I hope both those uh, conversations encouraged you. I told Braxton during our conversation that I think there was enough uh, in our conversation uh, to fill hours worth of dialogue on the different subjects that we talked about. We're not going to do that here. We're not going to spend hours talking about those things. Uh, but there are a few things that I do want to cover in this Chalk Talk about my conversation with Telly. And hey, as always, if you heard something that you liked, something you didn't like, something that confused you, uh, if you have suggestions on how I might be able to do it better uh, next time I talk to someone like Telly, or uh, if you have suggestions uh, regarding how I could uh, do better in, as far as some of the subject matter that I covered with him, I'd love to hear from you. Email me at streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast 
at gmail.com. And as always, if I do read your email or answer your question on an upcoming episode of the Street Fishing Podcast, I'm going to send you a copy of my book, Take Up the Shield. So email me, please. Email me. <laughs> All right. Uh, in this chalk talk, there are three main points I want to cover. And no, this isn't going to be a sermon, although maybe sometime it sometimes it will sound like that. There were three things uh, that came, well, two, really, two main things that came out of my conversation with Telly, and one thing that came out of my conversation with Braxton uh, that I'd like to go over. As far as my conversation with Telly, I want to spend a little time unpacking this idea of free will. That subject uh, came up in my conversation with Telly. And then I also want to talk about counting the cost. And uh, did you hear? I actually suggested to Telly that he consider switching majors. Uh, what you think about that? Here's a kid. He's been in school for about six weeks. Uh, he's a freshman, first time on a college campus, kind of has his heart set on being a clinical psychologist. And by the end of the conversation, I'm telling Telly, nope, I don't think you ought to do that. Me, a perfect stranger, talking to a kid whose parents probably sent him to, sent him to college, might even be flipping the bill. And I'm saying, hey, change your major. <laughs> uh, so, all right, so let's get right into it. Let's uh, start by talking about free will. Now, Telly brought up the subject of free will when I pressed him about sharing his faith with others. He, he stressed that people have to decide for themselves whether or not they want God. Now, in my mind, um, I was hesitant at that time to correct him because my main goal, of course, was to communicate the gospel to him. If he wasn't saved, talking about this finer theological point might derail the conversation and send us down a rabbit hole from which uh, we might not escape. Now, if he was saved, and again, I do believe that Telly is a Christian. Uh, can I know for sure? No. Um, I'm not the Holy Spirit, and uh, Telly's salvation isn't contingent upon whether or not I believe he's saved, but Based on my conversation with him, based on his affirmation of the gospel, his understanding of it, uh, the way he responded to some of my questions and some of the counsel I gave him, uh, I'm left with giving him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, I think Telly's a Christian. So if he was saved, then a phone conversation on a podcast, and I was looking at the clock, uh, might not give me the time to unpack uh, such a deep theological subject with him. I, I ran the risk of just leaving him confused uh, instead of simply in error regarding free will. So all this was going on through my head while my mouth was moving <laughs> and words were coming out. I'm trying to put together a plan. How far am I going to go? What am I going to do? And so I decided to open up the can knowing worms could come crawling out. I don't think they did though didn't seem like a can of worms when we got into it. Uh, there was what seemed like a pregnant pause when I told Telly that the idea of free will, at least in the way most people think about it, uh, which was how Telly described it, cannot be found anywhere in the Bible. And his silence was encouraging for a couple of reasons. He wasn't quick to argue. He didn't snap back, but instead listened to and considered what I was saying to him. And two, it seemed to indicate that it mattered to him what the Bible did or didn't say on a particular subject. His silence actually gave me more confidence at that point of the conversation 
in his profession of faith. Now, I tried with as few words as possible, running the risk of not saying enough or again just confusing a young man and relatively new believer with my incomplete thoughts, to explain two primary thoughts to Telly. One, everyone is a slave, either to sin or to righteousness. And two, everyone acts according to their nature. Now, in my rush to communicate important information to Telly, uh, I hit him with a flurry about the reality that apart from Christ, nothing a person does is good in God's eyes. I mentioned Romans 14.23, Isaiah 64.6. I used uh, two word pictures, one soft, one kind of graphic, to drive the point home, walking an elderly lady, elderly lady across the street and diving on a grenade to save my fellow soldiers. And I realized after the fact that this was a risky move because, again, with limited time on the phone and not being able to see his visible reactions to what I was saying, I might have lost his attention as he began to picture the two scenarios, especially the second one in his mind's eye. So the next few minutes for, uh, let's further unpack this idea of free will. And to do so, I'm going to let people much smarter than me do most of the talking <laughs> at this point. And and uh, make sure to check out the description uh, of the episode on the Anchor website, uh, the homepage for uh, the Street Fishing Podcast. I'm going to include some links that might be useful for further study, including uh, links to the uh, articles I'm going to share with you here. Now, the first one is from Ligonier Ministries, their Reformed Bible Studies and Devotional, an article titled, What is Free Will? Okay, The article reads, For I do not do good, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing, Romans 7.19. Anytime we broach the subject of divine election, the question inevitably arises, what about my free will? If God chooses those who will be saved, am I free to make my own decisions? Certain assumptions about the nature of our freedom usually lurk behind this question. Most people in the West, including Christians, unconsciously accept what is usually called the quote-unquote libertarian view of free will. This understanding of human freedom says that we have the ability to make spontaneous choices contrary to our dispositions and inclinations. Nothing determines our choices. We are always able to choose good or evil. Our wills are wholly neutral. Yet there are two problems with this definition of free will. First, if we make decisions spontaneously, there can be no reason or motivation for our choice. But since we know God takes our motivations into account, how can he judge us guilty or innocent if no motivation, good or evil, prompts our choice? Second, if our wills are, are neutral, why do we make decisions at all? For example, consider what would happen if I were presented with an apple and an orange and must decide which one to eat. If I am neutral, I will have no preference for either fruit and no reason to choose one or the other. Nothing will move me to pick one, and I will starve to death. <laughs> In The Freedom of the Will, Jonathan Edwards defines biblical freedom. Man is free, he says, to choose according to his disposition. Human beings always choose according to their strongest desires, and so we make free choices. We do what we want to do. Some may object that people often choose the undesirable, such as handing a wallet over to a mugger, but 
even if I do do this, my strongest inclination is prompted my choice. All things being equal, I do not desire to give my wallet away. But if my choice is my wallet or my life, and I hand over my wallet, I prove that I want to live more than I want money. Apart from Christ, we are dead in sin, Ephesians 2.1, and wholly disposed to hate God. We only want darkness, and so we freely choose to reject him. We freely choose to love and to serve Jesus only if the Spirit changes our hearts, John 3, 1 to 8. Otherwise, we remain lost. All right, now this uh, next, uh, next article, actually, it's a portion of an article called A Beginner's Guide to Free Will by John Piper. And it, it says this, now, where does free will fit into this biblical picture of our condition in the world? Well, to answer that question, we need a clear definition of free will. It may be helpful to offer three definitions. One from popular usage, one from common biblical usage, and one from the more technical discussion. A popular definition. Popularly, what do most people mean when they wonder about free will? I think... Most people mean something like this. Our will is free if our preferences and our choices are really our own in such a way that we can justly be held responsible for whether they are good or bad. The opposite would be that our preferences and choices are not our own, but that we are robots or puppets, puppets with uh, no meaningful acts of preferring or choosing. On that definition, free will exists both in fallen and redeemed human beings. For what the fall brought about was not that we cease to be authentic, preferring, and choosing persons, but that our rebelliousness inclines us to prefer and choose badly. Everyone prefers and chooses in accord with his nature. If the nature is rebellious and insubordinate, as Paul describes in Romans 8, 7 and 8, we prefer and choose accordingly. If our nature is being set free from its rebellion, it begins to prefer and choose what is truly beautiful. In either case, our preferring and choosing are our own, and we are held responsible for whether they are good or bad. So that is a popular definition. And then Piper gives a biblical definition. A second definition of free will reflected in the language of Jesus and Paul is this. The human will is free when it is not in bondage to prefer and choose irrationally. It is free when it is liberated from preferring what is infinitely less pref preferable than God and from choosing what will lead to destruction. The opposite of this view would be that such irrational preferences are suicidal choices. Uh, should be called freedom. Based on this definition, only those who are born again have free will. This is the way Jesus saw the idea of freedom in John 8.32. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And this is the way Paul talks about freedom in Romans 6. Thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Romans 6, verses 17 and 18. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, Piper provides what he calls a technical definition. He writes, the more technical definition of free will 
that some people use is this. We have free will if we are ultimately or decisively self-determining, and the only preference and choices that we can be held accountable for are ones that are ultimately or decisively self-determined. The key word here is ultimate or decisive. The point is not just that choices are self-determined, but that the self is the ultimate or decisive determiner. The opposite of this definition definition would be that God is the only being who is ultimately self-determining and is himself ultimately the disposer of all things, including all choices. However many are diverse, other intervening causes are. On this definition, no human being has free will at any time, neither before or after the fall or in heaven. Uh, are creatures ultimately self-determining? There are great measures of self-determination, as the Bible often shows, but never is man the ultimate or decisive cause of his preferences and choices. When man's agency and God's agency are compared, both are real, but God's is decisive. Yet, and here's the mystery that causes so many to stumble, God is always decisive in such a way that man's agency is real, and his responsibility remains. So that was kind of a technical definition. And, and that's the definition I think I, I agree with the most. I mean, I'm, I certainly agree with aspects, if not all, of the other definitions. But I, I think the best definition Piper gave was the technical one. Only God is free. Uh, God alone makes choices, makes decisions completely free from any outside influence. He is complete in and of himself. He is all-knowing. He is uh, ever-present. He is all-powerful. He is wisdom. Uh, he is perfect in all of these aspects, in every aspect of his character. He alone is free. He is not subservient to any outside influences. You and me, on the other hand, everything we do, every decision we make, is influenced by something outside of ourselves, whether good or bad, whether uh, temptation or benevolence or whatever it might be, whatever we do is influenced from something or someone outside of us. And so none of our decisions are free. None of our decisions are autonomous. None of our decisions, nothing we do, is independent of everything and anything. Uh, in fact, uh, everything we do is dependent on something else. And so, so we're, we don't have free will uh, in that sense. Only God and God alone uh, has free will. So now on a website called Monergism, are you familiar with that website? Really good uh, website. Tons and tons, and dare I say tons, of solid biblical information, articles, books, audios, and the like. Just a great site. Monergism. Uh, so bondage of the will uh, from the Westminster Dictionary of Theological Terms. And again, this is off the Monergism site. Uh, is the view that because of human sinfulness, the human will is bound to act according to its sinful nature and is therefore captive to it, unable to choose to do anything good apart from its liberation by the Holy Spirit. 
Of course, that is in perfect agreement with Romans chapter 3, that there is none who are good. No, not one. Uh, sometimes I, I will use uh, my dog Roxy uh, to illustrate uh, this understanding of a bondage of our will, that our will is not free, that we're limited to our nature. Uh, Roxy loves to chase squirrels. Uh, chipmunks are her favorite, but she'll go after squirrels. And uh, she will get as high into a tree as her little 18-pound body can take her. Uh, maybe four, three, four, five feet up a telephone pole or light pole or a tree trunk. Um, and the squirrels just sit high above her, just laughing, kind of, sort of. So let's say that uh, that Roxy was able to get up into a tree. Roxy's never going to build a nest. Roxy's never going to lay an egg. Roxy's never going to hatch a little bird. The reason? Roxy is a dog. She cannot do anything that a bird does because she is not a bird. That would be contrary to her nature. The only way Roxy is going to get up into that tree and live like a bird, sound like a bird, lay eggs like a bird, is if her will is miraculously changed, or her nature, rather, is miraculously changed to that of a bird. Um, short of that, uh, her will, she may want to act like a bird, she may want to do the things of a bird, she may want to spend time up in a tree, um, but barring a change of her nature, she's always going to do what a dog does. Our will is in bondage to our nature. And each and every one of us have been born with a sinful nature. Our propensity is to sin. Our desire is to sin. Um, even, again, in, in Romans 14, uh, verse 23, anything that is not done for the glory of Christ is sin. Even the quote-unquote good things that we do, good in man's perspective, but even that is not good um, if, if it is done out of our sinful nature and based on the will from that sinful nature. Unless God changes our heart, unless God causes us to be born again, unless he gives us, takes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh, uh, we will not be able to do anything uh, that is commendable to him. And even in that, there's nothing we can do even then that would commend us to God because we still live in this sinful flesh, we are still tainted by sin. There needs to be a propitiation for our sin. There needs to be a sacrifice for our sin because the wages of sin is death. And unless God does that miraculous work of, uh, of causing us to be born again to a living hope, of giving us the first fruits of that salvation, that regeneration, the gifts of repentance and faith in Jesus Christ, we will remain dead in our sin and capable to do anything pleasing to God uh, with no desire ultimately to do anything pleasing for God because we are in bondage to a sinful will. And then uh, from John Calvin, uh, from Bondage and Liberation of the Will, uh, the Monergism site had this quote, we allow that man has choice and that is self-determined so that if he does anything evil, it should be imputed to him and to his own voluntary choosing. We do away with coercion and force because this contradicts the nature of the will and cannot coexist with it. We deny that choice is free because though man's innate wickedness, uh, through rather man's innate wickedness, it is of necessity 
driven to what is evil and cannot seek anything but evil. And from this, it is possible to deduce what a great difference there is between necessity and coercion. For we do not say that man is dragged unwillingly into sinning, but that because his will is corrupt, he is held captive under the yoke of sin, and therefore of necessity will in an evil way. For where there is bondage, there is necessity. But it makes a great difference whether the bondage is voluntary or coerced. We locate the necessity to sin precisely in corruption of the will, from which follows that it is self-determined. So, some weighty stuff there, huh? You may want to go back and listen to that again. And again, I'm going to have the links to these various articles that I've uh, taken the time to read to you in the description section for uh, this episode of the Street Fishing Podcast. All right, so enough about free will. And uh, I hope that was helpful to you in some way. Next up, I want to talk about counting the cost. Now, early in the conversation, Telly made a distinction between being a believer and being a disciple, going so far as to say that he wasn't a, a disciple. Um, so that gave me a moment of pause. And again, that was very early in the conversation. Uh, it, it took but a moment, though, to change Telly's thinking about that. Another good indication that I was dealing with a believing young man. Now, believing Telly was my younger brother in Christ, I pressed him about his uh, reluctance or sloth in not sharing his faith in Christ with others. And I made sure to explain that obeying Christ isn't a work that leads to or secures salvation, but rather obedience to Christ is a fruit of genuine salvation. If we truly love Jesus, then the desire of our heart will be to obey his commands and to be like him. I told uh, I told Telly that he must be willing to pay the cost, whatever it is, if he is a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, for instance, Matthew 16, 24 to 28, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with the, with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then Luke chapter 14 Verses 25 to 33. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able, with ten thousand, to meet him who comes against him with twenty thousand? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, 
he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Very clear words from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on counting the cost. And then I talked to Telly about this notion of becoming a clinical psychologist so he could, as he said, help people forgive themselves. Uh, I explained to him that people forgive themselves, people forgiving themselves rather, will not help them when they stand before God. And as I often do, I briefly took Telly into the courtroom to show him how worthless it is for a convicted criminal awaiting sentencing to forgive himself before the judge passes sentence. And Telly got that. Telly understood. I then uh, took things a step further to explain to Telly that if all he does is help people feel better about themselves, then all he will do, uh, all he'll be doing is making people more comfortable on their way to hell. And I think that really resonated with him too. And after a moment of thought, he acknowledged my point. And, and again, I'm hopeful that Telly will change his mind about being a secular clinical psychologist. Lastly, I want to put out this plea to churches. Look, I, I love ministering on college and university campuses. I, I love it that Braxton has been going to uh, Illinois State University to find find people for me to talk to. I think that's been great. Uh, you see, young people are receiving much, much more than an education on these quote-unquote places of higher learning. They're being indoctrinated. They're being indoctrinated to worship today's trendy zeitgeists, things like the climate and social justice and other things. And I mentioned to Braxton that the problem with many college, university, uh, Christian groups is, is that they try to be several miles wide in their influence, but only about six inches deep in their orthodoxy, in their doctrine. They're putting their respective stamps on their campuses and expanding their uh, campus reach is often all the justification a campus ministry needs to compromise on things as important as the gospel. And add to that, that many of these campus ministries are led by young people who are the byproduct of American evangelical youth ministries. Kids enjoying pizza and foosball under the tutelage of an older adult in, in high school ministry desperate to be liked by the kids with a weekly message that tries to convince the kids of little more than they're special and God thinks they're great. And you have, in that, the college or university campus ministry leader of the future. Now, look, to be sure, not all college or university ministries are, are like what I just described over the years, particularly on campuses like UCLA and Southern California, where I spent quite a bit of time and now the University of Iowa, where I'm living here in Iowa, I've met some very solid Christian young adults who are part of wonderful campus ministries. But unfortunately, they are the exception, not the rule. And so to local churches, if you have college or university campuses in your area, make them one of your church's mission fields. The young people on these campuses, whether they realize it or not, are desperate for adult Christians to venture onto their campuses and bring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these young people include the professing Christians on the campuses. The greatest opposition I have faced 
on the campuses on which I've ministered has not been the secular society or the atheist club. It's been campus ministries. That's right. Campus ministries. So if, uh, if you have campuses like that in your area, uh, please consider uh, going to those campuses, handing out tracts. If you have any open-air preachers in your church doing some preaching, looking to engage students on the campuses in, in uh, conversation. Um, I've been doing that for many years. And uh, if there's anything I can do uh, to help you, to help your church, to establish that kind of ministry, on a campus near you, just email me at streetfishingpodcast uh, at gmail.com, streetfishingpodcast at gmail.com, and I would I'd love to help you out with that. All right. Well, that was about a half hour, <laughs> a half hour chalk talk. I hope uh, there was something in there that you found, uh, found beneficial. Um, this has been, uh, uh, again, it was a wonderful conversation with Telly. Um, Braxton texted me again, Braxton texted me while he was doing his follow-up follow conversation with Telly and uh, said, hey, Tony, Telly wants your phone number. Uh, is it okay if I give it to him? And I said, yeah, you bet. Yeah. So um, I'm waiting, waiting to hear back from Telly. I'm hoping that uh, what uh, started yesterday on a podcast interview uh, might result in some kind of friendship or an opportunity for me to disciple Um Telly from afar or even go down there. He's only about 90 miles away. Uh, go down there, spend time with him on the campus. Of course, uh, if he is a member of a local church, and, and I hope he is, uh, I certainly don't want to do anything to undermine the leadership of his own local church. Uh, I'm not Telly's pastor. I won't be Telly's pastor, but if I can come alongside him as a brother in Christ and help him grow in his faith, I would love to do that. All right. All right, we uh, we ran long today, I think. I uh, hope you stuck it out till the end. And I hope you enjoyed this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. And with that, I'm going to let you go. Until next time, dear friends, let's go fishing. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Street Fishing Podcast. The Street Fishing Podcast and Tony Miano's daily street evangelism efforts are ministries of Grace Fellowship Church in Davenport, Iowa. Grace Fellowship is a Reformed Baptist church that subscribes to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith. Visit the church's website at gracefellowshipqc.com. That's gracefellowshipqc.com. And for more information about Tony Miano's street evangelism ministry, including books, articles, videos, and audios, visit crossencountersmen.com. That's crossencountersmin.com. Until next time, and until the nets are full, let's... Go fishing.